Hi, I'm Leon Deggs, and this is Man Blues. Following on from the previous episode, this episode is about the death of my mother. So our relationship with my mother was tricky at best because she was obviously left alone to bring up four children for quite some time. I mean, my father died when I was nine and there was just my mother and my grandmother for quite a few years. So grandma was still living with us, still helping out, still very much a part of the family. Um, But the problem is when you're a teenage boy growing up in a fatherless house... There is a lot to kind of work out yourself because there's just people can't help you with everything. And I'm not saying my mother did a bad job because she didn't. She did the best with what she could and she did the best she could. Puberty was tricky because you, um, when you're going through puberty, some of you may be going through it right now, but the thing about puberty is, is you always feel the entire world is against you, doesn't understand you and everybody's wrong but you and it takes a long time for that arrogance to actually dissipate and turn into genuine experience and life experience and understanding and empathy it takes a long time but it is a large part of the growing process and it is also great to be able to look back and heal as a result of that but it wasn't helped by the fact that my sister was quite antagonistic with things going on at home so she would antagonize me to you know as classic siblings she would antagonize me to make me angry then my mum would have a go at me um but one of my favorite things um to get angry about was she uh, she and i we were pretty much in most of the same classes at school and um, we're of a similar aptitude and we would come home from school and i had a vested interest to go out and hang out with my friends so i would come home and you know rattle through my homework some of it was you know longer pieces of homework that I thought I'll you know if it's a Friday I'll, I'll do it tomorrow there's plenty of time so I would go downstairs and I'd say to my mum right I'm going out and my sister would immediately pipe up oh have you done x and x homework I'd be like well no and then my mum my mum would just say right well get back up in your bedroom and get it done you're not going out till your homework's finished and she pulled that trick so many times that it then got to the point where I didn't come downstairs and ask if I could go out without having done all my homework having it ready behind my back to prove to my sister I'd done it so my relationship with my mother was um, was difficult at best because she was trying very hard to um, bring the children up bring all four children up but as the younger pair of twins uh, as my sister and I are we genuinely felt that the older pair of twins got away with murder while we had everything strapped down. So my brother and I, we were members of the local ATC, the Air Training Corps, which is sort of like a um, an air force for teenagers. There were boys and girls there. Um, it was um, it was interesting, it was fun, and it was really good as a sort of a teenager. You come out of your shell, you get to know other people, um, made some solid friends there. When we met these teenage boys and girls, it was quite obvious that one of the things we wanted to do was have parties and go around to each other's houses and there's not a lot you can do when you're 13 14 15 years old but some of the kids were 15 16 17 years old so they were old enough or tall enough or whatever to go into shops and stores and buy alcohol but what happened was my brother used to hang out with these guys and he would get drunk quite badly and he would come home be in a right state so one of the stories was he came home 
and in the evening and he was absolutely sideways he barely could barely walk and the reason my mum found out about it was because he was stumbling around in the house so much um falling over and trying to you know basically just couldn't stay on his feet and so that she was woken out of bed and had to go downstairs and sort him out and he'd thrown up in the kitchen and it was a bit of a mess and what have you and it was anyway he goes to bed in the morning when he comes downstairs, she's putting out this uh, fried breakfast because, you know, it's very typical in England, but you have a fried breakfast some mornings. And what, what my mum knew was that sometimes when people are hungover, they feel a bit ill and a bit ropey. And the last thing they can face is a full cooked breakfast. So she basically wanted to punish him. That should give you the measure of the woman we're dealing with. That her first thought was, right, well, when he wakes up, I'm going to cook him this breakfast that's going to make him feel worse. So he comes downstairs um, doesn't feel particularly well, has a bit of a kind of a kind of moment and rushes off to the to the toilet and is ill again and then throughout the course of the day gets to feel better and so on and move on. So then because of that, when I was asking if I could go out and stay with my friends, I was told flat no because she knew that my brother was going out with his friends and going off the rails and uh, I mean one other story was that he ended up in the because we lived on this by the seaside he ended up running into the ocean uh, chasing something that they'd rolled in there and he was up to his waist in water and probably at risk of being taken out by the sea and stuff he comes home tells the story haha very funny isn't it whereas I'm listening to this story thinking that sounds like a nightmare why on earth would you want to run into the ocean so when it came down to me wanting to go out with my friends it never really worked out because she clamped down on it as if to say, well, no, I know what your brother did and I know what you're going to do, so I'm not going to let you hang out. Which, of course, has the exact opposite effect. I then start lying to her, telling her I'm going to hang out with friend A when I'm actually hanging out with friend B, uh, telling her I'm going to place A when I'm actually going to place B, and all this stuff. And also I was stealing from her purse because I had no money. Um, yeah, I wasn't a particularly nice boy, but I was going through all these changes. I mean, I used to steal from stores as well. Um, because, I, you know, I've had a, a, a difficult upbringing. Maybe these were all things about me lashing out, about my father dying and who knows what. We can blame it on all sorts of things, but it doesn't change the fact that at the time I was a tearaway. It wouldn't have reflected well on my mum, which is probably something she didn't like. So, of course, she tries to rein it in at home. Um, but I also had anger issues and I think most teenage boys struggle a little bit with anger issues and so you know basically I'm, I'm trying to say I wasn't a good teenager and she was struggling as a mother but what it meant was years later when I was together with my now wife we would come round to visit and my mother would tell all these horrible stories about things that had gone on throughout the childhood you know and she would be telling all these things and all these bad stories and blah 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 but the problem was very quickly I realised she was telling these horrible stories the stories weren't me they were any of the other four children she had and she was telling them to my wife to make me look bad because that's what she enjoyed she liked to make me look bad in front of others and very rarely ever did she say anything good about any of us to our faces? She would, apparently she would talk good about us behind our backs. She was telling other people how proud she was of her children. I used to be the drummer in a thrash metal band. I never once heard her tell me that I was any good at drumming. I never heard one positive phrase from her at all in the three and a half years I was in the band. And then I'm talking to a friend of a friend's mum. She said, are you still in the band? And I said, no, no, I'm not in the band anymore. I've had to give it up, went to university and so on. She said, oh, she said, your mum said you were really good. My mum said, what? Yeah, your mum said you were really good. You're kidding. She never told me. 
And genuinely, I struggle even to this day to accept a compliment from somebody because my mother never complimented anybody on anything. She once said to me, right, here's a great story. I was looking to experiment with my hair. So I was trying, I saw this, um, it was in a comic and uh, there was a doctor and he had, uh, he had an interesting haircut basically. And I showed this haircut to my mother and I said, I want to go to the barbers and get this haircut done. And she said, why on earth would you do that to your hair? Your hair is the best thing about you. Now, let me just leave that clang right there. My hair was the best thing about me. That's the only compliment my mother ever paid. And that is the worst compliment I can imagine anybody giving anybody. That was the level of the person we're dealing with. So you can imagine my relationship with her was a little broken. So years later, when my wife and I were visiting, we were taking my son round so that she could spend time with her grandchild. She would tell all these horrible stories. And then on the way home, I would complain to my wife about the stories that my mother had told and how it wasn't fair and so on and so on. And then I realised one week, because my wife's really good at dissecting things, she loves to discuss things, loves to pull things apart, and we both realised that what was happening was we were going round to my mother's and then all the way home I was complaining about having been at my mother's. Meanwhile, my son's sitting in the back of the car, kind of absorbing all this. So my wife sort of said, challenge her on it. And I thought, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. So anyway... Next time we're around at her house, she starts telling this story and I just sat there and let her finish the story. I leaned back and I folded my arms and I just said, no, that wasn't me. She looked at me and she said, no, I'm pretty sure it was you. I said, no. And then I gave her three or four reasons why it couldn't have been me and told her exactly what the story was. And I said, no, you see, so you've got the story wrong. It wasn't me. It was my brother. So anyway, the point being is that she actually would tell all these horrific stories. And then when I, when I started correcting her and said, no, you've got that wrong. That wasn't me. And that's the point where she kind of realised she couldn't pull this crap anymore. The day of her death, or rather the day she died, I should say, because the, the she, she wasn't well. She'd, she'd spent years on tablets for the arthritis. She'd had a hip replacement. It hadn't gone very well. Um, you know, there, there's all sorts of things wrong with her. She was basically broken. She'd been taking tablets for the better part of 50 years, and it had destroyed her insides. She wasn't feeling very well. She was collapsed on the floor. She was still conscious, but not moving. So I got a text message from my sister saying, Mum's in the hospital, she's got acute pancreatitis. Now, I didn't genuinely know what acute meant. So I thought, oh, okay, well, fine. So I said, text my sister and said, okay, let me know if there's anything you need, any help you need, blah, blah, blah. So from the Sunday into the Monday, phone call, um, about quarter past one in the morning. Yeah, she's not got long. Oh, yeah. So I said, fine, okay, I'll throw some clothes on, I'll head up, uh, head up to the hospital. Um, and when I walked into the ward, she died three minutes beforehand, so I literally just missed her. And at that point, when I walked in the room, that's when my sister broke down, because she'd sort of been this rock the whole weekend, she'd been making sure mum was okay, and then I walked in and she just like, she just had this relief of like, oh thank God someone's here. And um, so she broke down, and... I looked at my mum in the bed and I saw that behind her it had a do not resuscitate on there because she was just in so much pain she did not want to be revived if anything went wrong. So she said, don't wake me up if I die or if I go off, whatever, fine, just let me to die. So they did. So my sister had done all the hugging of, the, of my mum in the bed. I was about to walk out and I thought, I can't walk out without touching or doing or anything because my relationship with her was so broken. I thought, I can't just walk out without nothing. So I, I reached over and I put my hand on her forehead and just sort of stroked her forehead and hair and my abiding memory was skulls are very small the funeral 
Well, actually, the worst part about it was, uh, you know, inevitably when uh, when a family member dies, uh, that's when all the other members of the family suddenly come out of the woodwork and it starts to get really ugly with whatever. I had expected nothing in the will. I was the only one of the five children that was genuinely surprised to see something come out of the will. Everybody else seemed to expect, whereas I was kind of like, oh, wow, okay. And then it got even more ugly because of various other reasons, as it always does. And it's just so unpleasant. But when it came to my mother dying, I found it a lot easier to deal with because we just didn't have a good relationship at all. It was starting to heal. I will admit that. It was starting to heal towards the end of her life. We were kind of talking. We were kind of getting back a little bit and chatting about stuff. But it was all superficial. It was all, how's work? Yeah. How's your wife? Yeah. How's the house purchase going? Yeah, it's all good. How are you? How's your health? Ra rah, rah. It was never, let's talk about this. Let's talk about big stuff. We never had that. And even now, you know, I mean, there's fallings out across my entire family because we just never communicated because she didn't communicate. My mother was the, the, the crux of all this. She wouldn't communicate. She wasn't particularly huggy. She wasn't particularly emotive or emotional. And, and she would argue, were she here now, she would argue that she had to be that because she was bringing up all these children, had to be this hard mother. And I just think, well, no, but it's a role that also suited you. You didn't enjoy being hugged. You didn't enjoy being kissed. You didn't like any of that. And it was really tricky for me to show my son, as I said in the previous podcast. If you've not listened to the to Death Part 1, go back. But as I said in the first podcast, it's really difficult for me to show my son emotion and show my son any kind of love because I really struggled with it because I didn't know how to show it. And to this day, I'm unable to take a compliment because I just don't know what to say to people. It feels hollow when I just say thank you. But as far as my relationship with my mum was concerned, it was, like I said, it was very aloof at best. It was kind of like she's somebody I know. And to this day, she died better part of six years ago. I haven't shed a single tear. In fact, the day she died at the 1.30, I think it was, I think she died at around 1.54 in the morning and I got there at like two o'clock, literally just missed her. That day um, was a Monday morning and I was prepped and poised to go into work I had my work bag with me in the car and I thought okay well because I worked at the hospital where she died my thinking was well I'll sort out whatever I need to sort out with my sister and then come 7.30 I'll just jump in the office and get going so that was it the day my mother died I was sat in the office working I was being told off by my colleagues because they said to me why are you here except I wasn't dressed in office clothes why are you here oh because my mother's in hospital she's just died so why are you here well, what am I supposed to do? What can you do? When the person's died and they're in the hospital, they're already in the hospital. There's nowhere that you don't, you don't need to ring anybody to come and take the body away. She's already there being dealt with. And I'm like, well, what is it for me to do? I'm not the executor of the will. I'm not the one who's left to organise the funeral. I, I have no involvement in this. If I was to go home, I'd just sit there and wonder what I'm doing with my time because I genuinely felt nothing. And that sounds really awful. But... It kind of, I think, sheds a little bit of light onto some of the issues and personal issues that I've had with kind of, you know, dealing with certain things. Maybe why I've got aggression issues, maybe why I've got sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe a short attention span sometimes. uh, Because my my mind just wanders and wanders and wanders. And also I've got weight issues, I've got self-esteem issues and all these other bits and pieces. And they, I mean, so much of it stems from the family. So if you've listened to podcast part one and podcast part two... My father died when I was nine and I've got only fond memories of him because they're child's memories. And my mother died when I was much older and I don't miss her. I haven't mourned her passing and I wasn't sad that she was dead. I think that goes a lot 
towards explaining who Leon Deggs is. So, thank you for listening again. If you're affected by anything discussed on this podcast, please reach out to someone for help and support. Man Blues is not qualified to help, but we can listen. You can get in touch with us here at Man Blues. The email address is manblues at gmx.com. And we're also available on Twitter, which is at manbluesuk. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Thanks again.